Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Justin, we have a podcast. Diving, diving deep. Diving deep into all things Texas, both on and off the field. Here's Sean Pendergast and Pro Football Hall of Famer, the General, John McClain. Welcome, welcome to Utopia. Welcome in, everybody, to the Utopia Football Podcast, the wrap-up from week one of the preseason edition, episode five, I believe. Eventually, we're going to do so many of these, we're going to stop counting the episodes, but we're still in the, the neophyte phases of the uh, the podcast arc here so uh welcoming everybody in sean pendergast of course one half of pain and pendergast in the mornings 6 a.m to 10 a.m on sports radio 610 and my co-host of the utopia football podcast the hall of famer the general and of course part of our team at sports radio 610 as well john mcclain john how we doing happy uh happy week two of the preseason coming up here that's thing about week two means we're getting closer to week three and then week three means we're closer to the start of the regular season. And Sean, I'll tell you one thing about that first preseason game. They held out by my count eight starters. And you know Lovey Smith wanted to win that game. It's his first time back uh, since he was fired by the Buccaneers as a head coach. He got fired by Illinois. So coaches always want to win. Some go more out to do it, like John Harbaugh. Don Shula always wanted to win in preseason. But I think Lovey probably accomplished what he wanted to accomplish. And then when you win, it kind of sends a message to players, especially the young players, that what we're doing is right. If you do it the right way, you have a chance to win. Yeah, I just, you know, John, going into that game, and we'll get into stock up and stock down with some of the players and position groups in just a moment. But I guess just as sort of a prelude here, going into that game, I wasn't as worried about the final outcome as I was just I wanted it to look Good. I wanted it to look competitive. Good as far as preseason, you know, kind of graded on a curve. We know it's going to be sloppy. These are largely backups that are in. 
Um, but I, it, it, it has so much to do with the emotions surrounding this team and this organization right now. And it's largely been a really positive offseason for this team, starting with the draft and how, how good this rookie class looks. Some of it on paper still because of injuries, but some of it in practicality. And I know we're going to get to a couple of, of the rookies and stock up. I can guarantee you that. Um, but it's been, it's been largely positive vibes around this team. Fans seem to be coming back towards this team. What I didn't want to have happen was kind of what happened in, say, Bill O'Brien's first preseason game. And I know you remember that, John, when very first game of a new head coach and you go to Arizona and you get whooped. I don't think they crossed midfield till like late in the second quarter of that game. I just didn't want it to feel like that. So I'm glad that I'm glad they won because that's the ultimate good feeling. But I'm more than anything else, I'm glad that there there was enough good out there to feel like the positivity. And I know we'll get into some of the stock down. There's plenty to 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 critique as well, but I, I was happy that it kind of kept, it kept the ball rolling here in the preseason for this team. Going back to the Bill O'Brien game, Ryan Fitzpatrick got a single digit passer rating. And after the game, we went into the room where Bill did his interview. I asked him one question, he answered it and he stormed off. And I thought, <laughs> man, that's the wild bill we heard about the teapot that we heard about from New England. He was so angry and then they bounced back and played real well, but no coach wants to look like that and seldom are teams that inept and the Texans certainly weren't. I want to say right off the bat, a much maligned player. There's no player on this team more criticized than third string quarterback, Jeff Driscoll. And he, Threw three interceptions, not all his fault. He threw two touchdown passes. He did a great job on the last drive. So we got to give him Jeff Driscoll from, for props because I was ready to leave when he came in. And uh, I thought he did better than we'd seen. I had predicted he'd be the leading rusher, and he was only third with 17 yards. So props to Jeff Driscoll for engineering the touchdown drive and throwing the winning touchdown. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. All right. Well, that, John, that's actually a good segue into uh, stock up and stock down. And each week following the game on the, the, the early in the week podcast, following each of the games, John and I are going to do stock up, stock down. We'll do four of each. We'll go back and forth two a piece for us, stock up two a piece for us, stock down. Um, and I think the running game, John, you predicted Jeff Driscoll will be the leading rusher, which is a little surprising given the fact that you are the biggest truther when it comes to a guy who I, I'm not even going to put this one out there. I'm going to let you start with stock up, John, because I know this is a guy that you've got on your list because he is your favorite rookie other than Jalen Petrie on this team. So, John, the floor is yours. Stock up number one. That would be the player I predicted to rush for over 1,000 yards and be in the running for NFL 
offensive rookie of the year, and that would be Damon Pierce. And anybody watching that game, he was third back. Anybody who watched him saw that he brought a different dimension with the, the quick cuts, the acceleration, lowering his shoulder, running over a guy. And he's 218 pounds. He's not tall. That's what they list him. He might be 220. And uh, I thought he was tremendous. Five carries, 49 yards, 9.8. And they didn't have a, you know, a 45-yard run. So everybody likes Damian Pearson for a reason. And I think yesterday, uh, Sunday, Sean, after I talked to you on CBS, I tweeted, if he is not in the starting lineup, then the Texans will not be putting their best team on the field. And I think that's clear to everyone. Yeah, I think we saw it. I mean, it, it, five carries, 49 yards. And John, the thing you touched on there that I like the best is it wasn't five carries, 49 yards, and 46 of them came on one busted play. All five of those carries were positive yardage. I think his shortest carry might have been six yards. So he had the 20 yard carry that was his first carry of the game, which Clint Sterner said in the post game show was the best run he's seen by a Texans running back since Carlos Hyde did anything in 2019. And I, I looked at him. I said, that's hyperbole, man. Come on. And then he's like, well, think of one chief. And I'm like, good, Clint. That's a good counterpoint. Cause I can't think of one. You might be right about that. But every run that Damian Pierce had showed some element of why this team is so high on him and why he might wind up being a steal as a fourth round pick. You saw in that 20 yard run, John, the ability to cut back against the grain when the blocking is all going to the right, he finds a hole to the left. A couple of those shorter runs, there was not very much daylight. He was able to find that. He's got great vision. He runs with great explosiveness. He's got good power when he finishes the runs. Um, I, I, uh, I was very, very uh, excited that's as excited about a running back with the Texans as I've been since Arian Foster, probably. I'll give you an example of a run better than that. Last year against the Chargers, Rex Burkhead had a great game with two or three good runs. And uh, it was because it's Rex Burkhead, people don't remember it. And, and he never did anything close to that uh, the rest of the time he played. But I think clearly Damian Pierce is faster, quicker than Marlon Mack. But uh, or Rex Burkhead, and uh, it's only a matter of time before he's in the lineup. But let's stick with uh, the rookies and stock up. So, with stock up number one is Damian Pierce. John, I'm probably stealing this one from you, but let's stick with the rookies. Damian Pierce might have been the best player offensively with the Texans. John Harris in the post game show on Saturday night when he was in with Clint Sterner and myself said the best defensive player on the field when he was out there was rookie safety Jalen Petrie from Baylor. Shocking. I would never have thought that. So those are your two guys, John. I, I feel like there, there, there's a there, there's a, a, a picture of the great trios in Houston sports, John McClain, Damian Pierce, and Jalen Petrie, the three horsemen. That's what I'm going to call you. <laughs> um, but Jalen Petrie was great, John. He was around the ball quite a bit. He had a tackle for loss. Um, the first series was tough for everybody. You know, Andy Dalton kind of walked down the field. Seth Payne brought it up this morning. He said, it's hard to tell if that was any sort of miscommunication with, with, uh, Petrie and his teammates, or if that was just soft spots in the zone. But the bottom line is that Texan fans, one preseason game in, and quite honestly, even more than Damian Pierce, this has been an off season arc for Jalen Petrie, or from the time he set foot in the building, the upper management, Lovey Smith, Nick Casario, have had nothing but glowing things to say about him. And we saw that. It was great to see that in, in practice, not in practice, but it was great, great to see it in practice, but it was great to see it in, in, a, in, a, uh, in a game situation on Saturday. The last two years when he was at Baylor uh, and Dave Aranda came in and moved him a hybrid safety linebacker position, 
he was best around the line of scrimmage, not backed up in deep coverage. Although he's really smart and he recognizes things, diagnoses quick, breaks on the ball, but he's got a knack, Sean, for slipping blocks, staying low, and making tackles. He also blitzed a little at Baylor. Of course, they didn't call any blitzes in this game, and he covered slot receivers. And so when they hit him around the line of scrimmage, that was when he's best. And I noticed, too, when I went back and watched the replay, he made a couple special teams tackles, and and they didn't talk about that, but they had him on a lot of special teams. So it's pretty obvious Levy Smith's got big plans for Jalen Petrie on defense and special teams. All right, John, so we've got Damian Pierce, we got Jalen Petrie stock up. Give us our third stock up from the preseason win over the Saints. I'm torn uh, because there's several, especially on offense, but there are another others on defense. But I got to go to the guy who made the best play of the game, Johnny Johnson III, who came out of nowhere. I hadn't paid any attention to him in camp. You don't see him jumping up, making great plays like Jalen Camp and Nico Collins. But that, that catch on the last drive, 19 yards in which he, had, he spun three times, Reminded me of DeAndre Hopkins in that game in which he did that. And Cowboys. I thought he and he had and the game winning touchdown. So I'm giving my props. Johnny Johnson, third undrafted from Oregon. Yeah, I think you can probably throw Jalen Camp, put him in the same bucket with each other, John. The two-headed, the two-headed uh sixth wide receiver monster of Jalen Camp and, and Johnny Johnson. And I felt bad for Camp. Camp made a great catch on the, the other touchdown that Jeff Driscoll threw the one handed catch kind of in the, you know, where we're sitting in the press box, Tremendous. sort of the, the near, the near sideline. Um, he made a great catch there. I felt bad for camp because the, the second though, the third interception that Driscoll threw was underthrown and camp had broken free camp had gotten by his guy and was open by a few steps. And I think if it's any other quarterback on this team, he's walking into the end zone. I was glad for camp and Driscoll that they got another shot at that on the deep play that set up eventually the game-winning touchdown. So Johnny Johnson the third is a good one. I'm going to mix in Jalen Camp there. That's not my last stock up here, but I'm going to mix in. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to attach Jalen Camp as an honorable mention to your to your Johnny Johnson. This back end of the wide receiver position, John, has gotten very interesting throughout camp because I think Chad Beebe's done some things in camp. He didn't really get an opportunity to do much in the game on Saturday. Um, but the, the Weddington kid out of Stanford has done some, some good things. Um, and, and I don't think that, I don't think Philip Dorsett and Chris Moore are automatics to make this team. Uh, or Chris Conley, Chris Conley, Chris Conley's had a good camp and he didn't play very much. It looks like he's getting the veteran treatment. Anybody who got the treatment where they're not in very much after the first quarter, I feel like is probably in pretty good shape to make this team. But yeah, Conley's body of work as a player overall says he should be fighting for his job. It just seems like he's at a he's at a pretty good camp. But yeah, throw his name in there too. That's one of the more interesting position battles. I will say that, and I'll use this as a segue into my fourth, into our fourth stock up, the last one. I think the other one that's shaping up very interesting is the defensive line. And I'm going to give a stock up to the overall pass rush of the the backup unit in there, Okoronkwo with a couple sacks, Derek Rivers with a couple sacks, my boy Big Heine getting a sack, John. Kurt Heinish had a sack and did some good things in the run game. Um, so I'm, my fourth stock up is just the overall athleticism and, and burst and pass rush from that second unit, which was a big reason why they wound up winning that game on Saturday. 
uh, Derek Rivers had two sacks. Uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention Brian Cashman, the linebacker. Yes. He was the only veteran that Nick Casario gave up a pick for in the offseason. He came from the Jets. He tied another linebacker, Jalen Reeves, maybe for the team lead with seven tackles. But Cashman can run. He can cover. And that's what they want. They look like, Sean, they got some depth and linebacker this year they did not have last season. Yep. I have Cashman. John, I do a 53-man roster prediction each week, and I feel good. I actually had Cashman on my 53 going into that game because of some of the things he'd done in practice. And, yeah, he's, he's, making, a, he's making a nice push. Do you feel do you feel better at this point before we get into stock down? Do you feel better overall this point about the the offense or the defense with this team or neither? Well, that's a hard one. I would say the defense just because of the sacks, but they did it against a backup, although Ian Book played a lot last year. Yeah. And Dalton should look good. A veteran quarterback who's been in as many camps as he did should be able to take a team down the field the way he did. But considering the defense was awful, you know, the thing I feel best about right now is the running game because Mm -hmm. of Damian Pierce. But with depth at linebacker, they seem to have more depth in the line. And a new secondary, I think people got to feel good about the defense too. But, man, they play against some great quarterbacks. They do. They do. It's it's a rough sketch. I think the ceiling's higher for the defense right now just based on the depth and the fact that the the two top picks – that you feel good about right now. Kenyon Green hasn't gotten into, he hasn't been in a practice in two weeks. <clears throat> I think I feel pretty good that Stingley <clears throat> is going to be a, a good player for this team. And we've seen Jalen Petrie. So I would say defense if it were me. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. All right, let's get to stock down, John, and I'll let you start with that one. Four things with this team coming off just based purely on Saturday, the performance on Saturday, um, four stock down. Who are some guys that or position groups, whatever, that could use a little bit of improvement based on Saturday's performance? My first one is Davis Mills. He came out, he played, he was three of three for like 14 yards. They didn't get a first down. They looked terrible. So I would have to say Davis Mills. We He'll get more playing time in his second preseason game against the Rams and then a little more in the last preseason game against the Niners. So his stock is down after that first game with only one direction to go. Yeah, I, I would say mine, and the mine is kind of a, an adjunct to Mills, but I'll call it my first stock down. Just the, <clears throat> the overall cohesiveness of the offensive line. <clears throat> not, I don't, not necessarily throughout the game, but the, the backup unit, Backup, backup unit. The second half, the offensive line was fine, blocking for Pierce and protecting Jeff Driscoll. They did a decent job. But the the unit that was in front of Davis Mills um, was real shoddy. I mean, the, you know, they, they were giving up tackles for loss. There was there were holding penalties. Um, there there were you know, there, there were all kinds of things that put them behind the chains. Every third down they had while that first unit was in there was I think the first three third downs they had were all third and double digits. And it was largely because of the offensive line with the caveat that Laramie Tunsil wasn't out there. Justin Britt wasn't out there. We expect Kenyon green to become a player for this team. So three of the five guys, three of the five spots along that offensive line were being manned by guys who um, we don't expect to be in the starting lineup when this team is playing meaningful games and Titus Howard only played a series, but 
I was hoping that with some of those guys, that unit, it, it's, you know, it's pretty much a given. Those guys are all going to make the team or be in competition to make the team towards the end of camp. It did not look good. So um, that's, that's my first stock down is just the, the offensive line, the, 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 the starting unit in that game on, on Saturday is a stock down for me. Terrible. And Jalen Green, I mean, Kenyon Green doesn't get back to practice. He's not going to be starting that first game. No. And he's not practicing, and he's way behind. And another thing, even though as a backup, Charlie Hack started a lot of games. Justin McCray, who has moved ahead of Max Sharping and is left guard, and he's the backup center. He started a lot of games. So, to me, it was inexcusable uh, because they had – they weren't – it wasn't like they were playing – bad players or third stringers and those backups look better than they did. So I agree with you hundred percent. My second one is uh, Marlon Mack. Now the first carry minus two yards hit in the backfield is not his fault, but uh, because that's just the way it was last year. You know, if you think about it, Sean, with the starting unit they had out there, it was more of the same last year. You mentioned Mills having third and long, that's second, third and long, which was what he faced most of the time, and you hope that won't happen when Damian Pierce is starting and you have all your starters in the line. Remember, they started 12 different offensive linemen last year yeah. because of injuries, COVID-19, and ineptness, and you'd like to see them have some kind of stability. But Mac had three carries for six yards, and maybe if he'd have been the third back after him and Dario Gumbawale, like uh, Damian Pierce was, he'd have been looking as good as Pierce, but I don't think so. Do you think that Lovey Smith switches up the order that they go in the game on on uh, Friday against the Rams? You think he sh- he shifts that around, or you think Pierce is back in the third back in like he was the first time around? Boy, I have no idea. I know this. I'd run Pierce. I wouldn't give him the ball more than four or five times. A game. Agreed. I mean, he looks ready to play right now. Yeah. There's no need to take a chance on him getting hurt because if he gets hurt, he's not again going against the Colts. They're in trouble. Yeah. And so I don't know if they'd move him up a spot or not, uh, maybe by the last game, but they've, they've, the other guys got to be able to run too. Yep. No doubt. Uh, all right. The last stock down, John, I'm going to give to uh, uh, a safety. And it's a safety who I'm shocked is still on this team. I was shocked they extended him, but had a couple plays in this game that if he's doing this in the regular season, it's going to be a big problem. And it's Eric Murray. Uh, Eric Murray. Uh, in the first half of the game had a chance for a, a tackle. I can't remember if it was a TFL. He had a chance for at least to, to stop a play cold that would have put the Saints in a bad down and distance situation, but he badly whiffed on a tackle that resulted in the ball carrier getting about 10 or, 10, or 10, 10 or 12 more. That's exactly what it was. It was an Ole play, John. Ole! Um, and, then, uh, and then on another play where he, he actually was in position to make the play, and he brought the ball carrier down, but he he pulled him down with his face mask and completely nullified what could have been a great play. And that's really all I saw out of Eric Murray. John, I'm still shocked he's on this team. I'm shocked that Nick Casario kind of redid money to keep him around. I, I was looking up his contract after those couple of plays. Like, all right, what's Eric Murray's chances of not being on this team? The redo of his contract makes it more expensive to cut him than to keep him at this point. He's super expensive to cut. Next year, he's still got a year left on his contract, but it's kind of an empty year. Um, but uh, I don't know how competitive the safety position is right now. It's not like they've got a ton of bodies at that position. So between the lack of depth at that position 
and the fact that his contract makes it more expensive to cut him than to keep him. Eric Murray's going to be on this team, but uh, I didn't see anything on Saturday night, nor have I seen anything really during training camp that makes me get off of my stance with Eric Murray, which is why not just get rid of him? Then, we, then we're rid of all of the O'Brien overspend sludge on this roster. You know, then we're, then we're really moving on. Eric Murray is a walking reminder of that crazy offseason where O'Brien just went bananas trading DeAndre Hopkins and signing a bunch of mid-tier and lower-tier players to frontline money. That's that. So, so Eric Murray, based solely on two plays and a lot of baggage, emotional baggage that I have over the last two years, is my our last stock down. And those contracts were negotiated by Jack Easterby. Yes. Who, by the way, was not on the sideline for the first time since he was hired in 2019. He was up in the booth, not wearing, not wearing headsets, of course, and providing advice for Lovey Smith and Pep Hamilton. But uh, Murray does something they like, Sean. I'm not exactly sure what it is. Maybe it's behind the scenes. You know, he flashed a little bit last season. I thought he was better last season than the season before. And considering you have Petrie and Jonathan Owens as your starter, and Jonathan has very little experience, maybe that's why Murray's around. Experience. Okay. So, the, and then you know what? And, and John, if that's the MO that they're going with, and we know that they are, we know like in the linebacker room, you got Kirksey and Kamu Gruger Hill who are there to tutor Christian Harris. We know we've got veterans along the defensive line now with Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison. They're there to tutor Jonathan Grenard and Ross Blacklock and Thomas Booker and Kurt Heinish and on and on and on. You know, Damian Pierce himself said it in his post game. Uh, media session where he brought up proactively brought up Rex Burkhead and the experienced guys in that room that are the quote village that are raising him. Those are his words right now, the village raising Damian Pierce. I'll take that as an explanation. I just don't need to see Eric Murray out there getting significant snaps at safety this year. That's all. That's how I feel. My favorite line that you've had so far in this podcast, John, is Eric Murray does something they like. I'm not sure exactly what it is. That's I don't think anybody knows. If we were to transcribe this podcast, that sentence would look so ridiculous. And it's true. It's you're 100 percent correct. I, I can't I can't figure it out. All right. So there's your stock up and your stock down from the uh, from the game on Saturday. John, anything we missed? Any other cleanup items you want to uh, sweep into the mix here before we move on to some of the other things? Uh, they held out 12 players, and I mentioned earlier eight starters, and I think that was good. We didn't need to see any of those guys. A couple were because of injuries like Kenya and Green, and when they traded up to get him in the first round, did they trade up or down? They, they traded drew? back from 13. Traded back to yeah. 13 to 15 to get Kenyon Green because they knew they could. They did it with the idea that he was going to be a starter, and it looked, looked early on like he was out of shape, so they really need – for him to come on. And I think the toughest cut based on everything we've talked about on our podcast and things that we see at practice every day is going to be wide receiver. A yes. couple of those guys and some of the guys we've talked about are going to be destined for the practice squad. And, um, and, but some of them, as we mentioned, Brian Cashman, Jalen Reeves, maybe, maybe new led team in tackles or some of these guys coming on and I can't wait to see when Garrett Wallow gets back mm-hmm. Christian Harris, when he gets back, you know, they've got a lot of talented young players. And once Stingley gets on the field, I'm guessing they'll play him a little in this game against the Rams, then a little more against the Niners. And, and, and he, he has everything it takes 
to be a big time player. He just looks the part and he needs the experience because when he gets in there in that first game, uh, you know, Matt Ryan is going to be doing a lot of play action with Jonathan Taylor, and he's going to throw that ball down the field. People expect Stingley to make big plays right off the bat since he was third overall pick. Yep. Looks the part. We'll see. And he's got to make it happen in the games. All right. So that's uh, that's our recap of the Texans 17-13 win over the Saints. John, as far as other things going on that, uh, that listeners to this podcast would be interested in, um, Deshaun Watson had quite a day on Friday. Uh, finally apologized to the women that he quote impacted. Give me a break. In an in-house interview, interview. It was 90 seconds long and it felt very contrived and very scripted. I, I, there's less to dig into with Watson's actual performance on the field because he was only in for a couple of series other than to say he, he airmailed his first pass, had a couple of drops. It looked sloppy. The spacing was bad. You know, he, like, he looked like somebody who hasn't handed off a football nor thrown a football competitively for a while. We'll wait and see if he winds up playing. Their next game is actually the one of the later games this weekend. They play on Sunday afternoon this weekend, so we'll see if the NFL does anything. But John, you alluded to it. What did you think of the uh, What did you think of the apology from Deshaun Watson? I didn't buy it. It was it was contrived, as you mentioned. It's too late. Um, they're not going to pay any attention to it. It should have been a long time ago. And when he was saying that he had nothing to be remorseful for because he didn't do anything. So did he do anything or did he not? And it was very awkward. And during the game, that video that's been viewed by millions where the fans in the end zone with him taking snaps right in front of him was you sick bleep, you mm -hmm. sick bleep. And he's going to get that everywhere he goes. Now I'm guessing that he can, maybe tune it out, compartmentalize it, but he's going to get that the rest of his career, just like Jose Altuve is going to be booed the rest of his career. The key is can Watson react the way Altuve does because it seems to fuel Altuve and it makes him even better. Yeah. I don't know, man. I, John, Deshaun Watson seems like somebody, and I'm, I'm not talking in the last year and a half, I'm talking the body of work. He seems like someone who needs to be liked. He seems like someone who likes being popular. I think we all, Look, we all like to be liked and get adulation and things like that. Um, but Deshaun Watson, as we're learning now, has an image that's been so crafted and fabricated in some ways so that he is popular. I, I, I think it's going to be fascinating to see how he reacts to being a guy with a, with a target on his back. I guess my issue, John, with the apology, and you kind of alluded to it, you said the words too late. He's too late with everything. Every, every step along the way with this whole saga with him, has he's been, I, this is what I said on our show this morning. He's five years late to the prom on everything. Like he, when, when these lawsuits all started popping up in March and April of last year, everybody's saying, settle them, just settle them. And he doesn't, he tries to fight it and quote, clear his name. And what does he end up doing a year later? He winds up settling them. The NFL sits down to try to settle with him on a punishment. And he digs his heels in and doesn't want to settle on a punishment until the league is very clear that they want to suspend him for a year. And now he's trying to get them back to the table to settle again. Um, apology. You know, the, in March at his press conference, he said, I have no regrets. He was adamant. He had no regrets about anything until the league says that the reason we're looking to suspend you is because you show no remorse. And so all of a sudden he wakes up on Friday with all sorts of remorse in his heart and wants to apologize. Even counseling, John, like when they asked him at his press conference, do you plan on attending counseling at his March press conference? So they introduced him and he not only say no, he said, I don't have a problem. 
Now he's out front saying, well, I'm going to keep going with this counseling. You know, this is, I'm going to keep making a better me. All of these things unto themselves that he's doing makes sense. Like it made sense to settle. It makes sense to apologize. It makes sense to go seek counseling, but he only does them when he's backed into a corner and his career and his money are threatened. That's the problem I have. And that's, I, I just feel like it's completely insincere. And honestly, if I were the league looking at this apology, if he's expecting the league to look at this as some box that he's checking to get 12 games instead of 17 games, I'd tell him to go pound sand. <laughs> That's my feeling I'd, on it. I would like to know who it was close to him, because I don't think it was Rusty Harden, who advised him not to settle originally with Ashley Solis, who, who suggested or let him go with the insulting tweet about uh, Tony Busby, mm-hmm. earning Busby's wrath, and then not settling before he so he could be traded to Miami. Didn't hear, wouldn't hear of settling until the Thursday before the Tuesday deadline when they had the trade worked out with the Dolphins. So he's gotten bad advice somewhere, and I wonder if that person is still with him or he's been cut out of his entourage. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I was thinking about that this weekend, John. Like, okay, who is advising this guy? Because he's he's got a he's got an army of people. I, I'm with you. I 100% don't think it's Rusty Harden that's giving him any of this advice to the extent where I honestly think like Rusty Harden probably got handed this, you know, the, he got handed this poker hand at the table when he sat down knowing he was going to defend Deshaun Watson. And I'm guessing there's a lot of stuff throughout this whole thing where even Rusty Harden deep down is rolling his eyes at this <laughs> stuff. You know, he's getting paid a lot of money to defend Deshaun. So he's got to be his advocate. But Rusty is one of the smartest people that we know. Like even Rusty had to look at some of this stuff and go, okay, well, I got to kind of bite my, you know, bite my uh, lower lip here as I sit okay, here. And now, say wait a minute. Things. Wait a minute. If you're going to say, Rusty said, I got to bite my lower lip, you got to say it like Rusty would say it. <laughs> I tell you, I'm looking at this stuff that Deshaun is, uh, I see the evidence and I see what he's doing and I got to bite my lower lip as I say this. So I'm here I go. I'm going to say it. A happy ending is not a crime. If you go and you make someone to feel uncomfortable, <laughs> Or you say something, it's not a crime. I love Rusty Harden. I love when you do Rusty Harden. <laughs> Rusty, uh, John, I need, I need to do a podcast someday where it's Rusty Harden and Lou Holtz just talking to each other. Back hey, and I'll forth. be ready. <laughs> They'll call it the Octogenarian Podcast. <laughs> uh, so, um, so, that's, so that's Deshaun. I guess, John, as far as on the field, action around the weekend, um, what, what do you think is the, the non-Texans, non-Deshaun Watson, what was your biggest takeaway or biggest story for you from the preseason this weekend? Cowboys had 17 penalties. The Steelers have a quarterback controversy because they played Kenny Pickett in the second half, and he had two touchdowns, and he looked really good, back up against backups, but everybody in Pittsburgh wants Pickett to be the starter, and that's up to Mike Tomlin, but at some point, maybe early in the season, I believe Kenny Pickett will be the starter there, and people will get behind him big time since he's from Pitt, and they love it. Uh, Pickett is a big one. Um, Zach Wilson's injury, which initially the tweets were two to four weeks. It's a meniscus issue. But now I saw John yesterday. I can't remember which. Now It might have been Rappaport that tweeted this. I think it was that – and we remember this from when Clowney had the meniscus issue. There's two ways to fix a meniscus. There's either you, you, you kind of shave off part of it and you get back on the field right away, or you actually repair it, but then you're gone for a much longer time. 
I guess they're going to wait and see once they get in there what the best thing is to do with Zach Wilson. Because I do know that the process that gets you on the field much quicker is one where you can only do that so many times with a meniscus before it gets real bad. So we'll wait and see. But it sounds like, at least according to one of the reports that I saw yesterday from Ian Rappaport, that it's not definite yet that they're doing the procedure that gets him back on the field quickly. It's kind of a, a wait and see issue, which, look, John, Zach Wilson needs as much time on the field as he can get, not only because he stunk last year, but he's got all these new weapons that he's got to build chemistry with. Um, it's a big blow to the Jets. Like whatever they can do to try to get him on the field for the opener, that's what they got to do. I don't mm-hmm. care what they what they do to him. He's not coming back before two weeks. The quickest re- recovery I've ever seen, playoffs, I think it was 07, the Chargers, Phillip Rivers. He had a scope on his knee, and he played two weeks later, and he played the whole game. Yeah. Um, so, so Zach Wilson, Kenny Pickett and John, you do a lot of radio in Nashville. So we'd be remiss not to mention uh, Malik Willis had a couple highlight plays. The numbers weren't eye popping. I think six of 11 for 107 yards, five carries, 38 yards, but he had a couple plays that wound up on sports center. Doesn't mean he should be starting for the Titans, but we know the drum beat is going to continue up in Nashville. If Ryan Tannehill doesn't recover from that awful playoff performance he had and Malik Willis continues to do things in these preseason games, it's uh, the, the collar. The collar's going to get a little tight for Ryan Tannehill up there in Nashville, will it not? Well, there's no pressure on him at all. No, <laughs> I mean he knows he's a starter. Malik Willis is not even close to being an NFL quarterback. In fact, Mike Vrabel was critical of him for not throwing the ball quicker or where it needed to go, and everybody thought he would praise him. And I go back to the Patriot way. Oh, yeah. And we saw it here with Bill O'Brien. They just don't (laughs) praise rookies. So Malik Willis is a long way from playing. They they profess their love for Tannehill because they have to love Tannehill. And the best thing for Ryan Tannehill would be Derrick Henry to stay healthy for the whole season. Yeah. Lovey would have praised him, John. Lovey would have heaped praise on Malik Willis. I like that. I love that, that Lovey Smith does that for rookies. I do, too. I do, too. It's a better vibe, man. It's a better vibe. All right, so there we go. Uh, Our next podcast will drop on Friday of this week as we will get you ready. John, it's a Friday night game coming up this week. The latest kickoff time in the history of the preseason for the Houston Texans uh, is this Friday in Los Angeles against the Rams, 9 o'clock. You going to be good to go for a nine o'clock kickoff, John? I'll take a nap and I'll be good to go. And one of the things I like when I retired from the Chronicle is I don't have to travel anymore. I learned during the pandemic, I can learn just as much having my TV and my computer in front of me. And uh, I'm excited about seeing the Rams. They were not going to be playing Matthew Stafford, of course. I'm guessing they'll hold out some of their veterans, but they are the Super Bowl champion, and it is one of the, the actually it is in the greatest stadium in the NFL, so it's going to be fun to see the Texans take the next step in their development of so many players. Nice. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be good. Second preseason game. Again, the preseason. Texans have all their preseason games jammed into a 12-day period. It's wild. Um, so it'll be the Rams on Friday, and then the following Thursday, they close things out at home against the San Francisco 49ers as we close things out here on this episode of the Utopia Football Podcast. Uh, of course, download this podcast. If you, haven't, if you haven't subscribed to it yet, please subscribe to it. You can download it anywhere that you get your podcasts where you can review it. Give us the five-star review as well. Tell your friends about it. Tell all your Texan friends about it and carry it along with you as a guide, especially the ones where we preview the games. It's real good to kind of keep those handy especially as kickoff approaches on these games. 
Uh, of course, we all, we would be remiss not to thank our, our guy Figgy Fig for doing all the behind the scenes production on this thing and making uh, making it happen so that you guys get this on a in a timely fashion a couple of times each and every week. John, appreciate the time as always. Sean, my pleasure as always. All right, there it is. That's John McClain. I'm Sean Pendergast. You can hear me 6 to 10 a.m. on Sports Radio 610. On that Odyssey app, of course, you can hear John McClain multiple times throughout the week on Sports Radio 610 on all of our shows and on Texans Radio a couple times a week as well. Until next time, we are done. It's the Utopia Football Podcast. I'm Sean Pendergast. He's John McClain, and we are out of time. We will see you later this week. Have a great week, everybody. 